0: Sports Scourts with with Crom is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at TopChoiceAthletics, Athletics, and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. It's hard to believe, but the twenty eighteen NFL regular season is already down to its final two weeks. And usually at this point in the year, a single team or a tiny group of teams emerge as the clear front runner or clear front runners to win the Super Bowl. But this year, I don't see such a front runner right now. Do you, Hal Bent?
1: I it's really not it's you're looking at the chargers maybe if they <laughs> end up i mean and they could be the number 5 seed so the the chargers and the saints are the top teams and one of them could be playing three road games
0: oh you said it uh, it's still up in the air and the way all these top teams are playing right now i don't see a favorite at all and do you ever recall a season Where the race to the Super Bowl seemed this wide open with two weeks to go? I
1: personally can't. I can't think of one either. I'm like racking my brain here. And there's just, there's always a couple of teams that are at the top, it seems like. And, you know, the NFL wanted parity with their balanced scheduling. And I think they're getting it this year.
0: Oh, they are most certainly getting it. And parody still reigns supreme in the national football league contrary to some bogus narratives that emerged on twitter in recent years saying that parody was dead it is far from dead in the national football league heck it's more alive than it's ever been and now let's move on to our week 15 takeaways and i will go first here and i want to start with the two teams currently atop the nfc the rams and the saints the bears just might have broke the rams offense And the Cowboys just might have broke the Saints' offense. The Saints have struggled badly on offense since that Cowboys game. The Cowboys uh, gave the rest of the league a blueprint to slow down Drew Brees and the Saints. And the Chicago Bears... um, gave the perfect blueprint to stop Jared Goff in that Rams offense and the Eagles followed suit last week. And the Bucks and Panthers followed the Cowboys lead these past several weeks against the Saints. So it's quite possible that the code has been cracked in terms of how to stop the Rams and Saints offenses.
1: That's a great point, David. And and I'll add on to that as well. Um, two teams also in the top seven in uh, offense, Pittsburgh and New England. After that first quarter, uh, neither team could figure out how to score, it seemed. And, you know, are they giving the blueprints out to the rest of the AFC? And like you said, I had that in mind as well. What is going on with the offense here? We know it goes down in December, but we're starting to see You know, the defenses are finally starting to catch up to some of these high-powered teams.
0: They most certainly are. And as I said last week, defenses still matter, and they matter even more uh, this week. And speaking of the Patriots, this is my second big takeaway from Week 15, and I don't mean to break your heart as a Patriots fan, Hale, but even though they might win one more Super Bowl with Tom Brady, and I'm betting that they do win one more Super Bowl with Tom Brady, the end of the Patriots' amazing run, just seems closer than it's ever been, does it?
1: It really does, David. And you know, at first, it it kind of felt like you know they have the transition seasons. There was two thousand and five. There was two thousand and nine. There was two thousand and thirteen, where those teams didn't really do much in the playoffs they didn't deserve to be where they were they weren't a title contender those years but you know they've they've had a few bad drafts the past couple of years they they haven't acquired impact players on both sides of the ball and that's going to catch up to any team and it's catching up to the patriots right now
0: it most certainly is and it's not necessarily father time with tom brady that is the big factor Um, to explain the struggles of the Patriots' offense uh, in recent weeks, especially last week. We move on to truth or exaggeration here, our favorite game, and we continue with the Patriots. Uh, The decline of Rob Gronkowski. As Ronnie Harrison said uh, on the Sunday Night Football pregame show on Sunday, that Rob Gronkowski just seems like he's declining fast and is not the dominant player he used to be. And for our first uh, segment of truth or exaggeration, It reads that the Patriots will not make it far in the playoffs if Rob Gronkowski is indeed on the decline, as Roddy Harrison suggested.
1: Oh, that's absolutely true. They need him to be a game-changing weapon because now you've lost Josh Gordon as he is stepping away from football once again and facing an indefinite suspension. So one of those big play down the field receivers is gone and that was a role that rob gronkowski filled on this offense so uh, definitely a truth in this regard that they're not going far without gronk being gronk
0: i completely agree and moving on to arguably the worst team in the national football league the current occupant of the number one overall pick in the 2019 nfl draft the arizona cardinals the Cardinals should fire both head coach Steve Wilkes and general manager Steve Kime in order to build the roster around Josh Rosen and his interests going forward.
1: Oh, that's tough. You know, I, <laughs> I think, you know, this was a lost season to begin with in Arizona. I, I think they made the right move in getting Mike McCoy out of their offensive coordinator. Uh, we've talked about that earlier in the season. I think Wilkes is gonna need another year to see, you know, if he can turn this team around. And you know what? They're not making a big turnaround next year, anyways. You're looking for gradual improvement on the team, and it's probably a lost season already in 2019. So I think for Arizona, um, I, I think Wilkes is gonna need need more than another year and and I haven't given up on Akai either as well as a general manager he's brought in too many good players um in the past as well for this to um to turn it around after his six years here in Arizona
0: I actually disagree with you uh in order to get Josh Rosen to play at the level he is capable of playing at long term you need a head coach that is a quarterback mind that will get the most out of him. Case in point with Sean McVay, with the Rams, Matt Nagy uh, with the Bears, and uh, Doug Peterson with the Eagles, Andy Reid with the Chiefs, with all all teams with quarterbacks on a rookie contract. You have to capitalize on this rookie contract now. And Steve Kime has had two, God, awful drafts these past uh, several cycles. 2016 was just a flop, and uh, 2017 hasn't looked good, but in part because Steve Wilkes doesn't utilize those players he took uh, to, to their uh strengths so uh there may be a case for kind but i just don't see the case for Wilkes. so we'll just agree to disagree there and speaking of uh, head coaches in trouble of losing their jobs vance joseph's gutless gutless decision on fourth and one in the fourth quarter inside the five yard line against the browns has eliminated any remaining chances he has at keeping his job as head coach of the denver broncos going forward
1: Truth, 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 truth. That ride is over. They have got to get rid of Vance Joseph. That it's it, He's not coaching to win. He's coaching to lose a close game, and that's not going to cut it in the NFL.
0: It most certainly isn't, and according to research done by Football Outsiders, Vance Joseph's decision to play it safe and kick the field goal on fourth and one to bring the Broncos within a point against the Browns last week, decreased their win probability by 33%. Oh, my God. One of the biggest FUs to analytics I've ever seen, and you can't FU analytics anymore in the NFL. Analytics are here to help you win. You play to win. You don't play not to lose. Vance Joseph chickened out at the worst possible time, all but sealing his fate as head coach of the Denver Broncos, which he's expected to be relieved of those duties at the end of the regular season. And moving on to the New York Jets, who currently own the number three overall pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. And if the Jets end up with that third overall pick, they should highly consider trading down given the holes on their roster and the fact that they do not have a second round pick in 2019.
1: I'm going to say exaggeration I think for the Jets they need an impact front seven player on that defense right now they've invested heavily in the secondary both bringing in high priced free agents as well as high draft picks you've got Jamal Adams who is on his way to being one of the best safeties in the NFL right now you've got Marcus May as well, there with him, a playmaker at free safety. You've invested, you know, uh, Tremaine Johnson, big contract there in the secondary. But you're leaning on Henry Anderson, Brandon Copeland to make impact plays, rushing the passer. No, 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 no. This is where the Jets find an impact player, whether it's an edge rusher, whether it's another penetrating defensive tackle to team up with Leonard Williams on that defensive line and get an impact player on defense. And that's going to give them a big boost starting next year.
0: I actually agree. Uh, assuming Nick Bosa goes number one overall and number two is either Quinn and Williams or Ed Oliver, the Jets uh, could have either Ed Oliver or Josh Allen is in the, black Josh Allen dare I say I don't mean to sound a little racist there but the Josh Allen the edge rusher from Kentucky who I hope to see down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl and uh, who's expected to blow the roof off at the Combine and if he does that Josh Allen uh, could be a attractive option for the Jets at number three overall so uh, he could be a game-changing edge rusher and if the Jets think he is they have to stay and get him.
1: I completely agree. This team has been missing that for years now. Um, and it's just evident watching them this year. This is a defense that should be in the top half of the NFL. And they put so much pressure on that secondary to cover for so long. And you just can't put that pressure on your secondary anymore uh, in the NFL, you've got to be able to get some pressure on the quarterback and get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. And the Jets just haven't been able to do that this season.
0: And that explains why uh, Tremaine Johnson has been an absolute disaster. They paid him all those millions of dollars to keep blowing those coverages because those, in large part, those defenders can't get to the quarterback up front.
1: Exactly. I mean, you've got to have that uh, That. That pressure up front working with the secondary so they know how long they have to hold that coverage how long do you have to do that i mean think of that legion of boom in seattle you know there was a lot of pressure with michael bennett and company bringing the pressure onto the quarterback that helped make them into that fearsome pass coverage that they were
0: Indeed, indeed, indeed. And speaking of front seven terrors, even though he probably won't get the honor, Khalil Mack deserves robust consideration to be 2018's Defensive Player of the Year. I,
1: I would say that's a truth. I mean, I, I'm looking at that position as as that that award as something that you know you have to measure the impact as well, and the impact he had in Chicago immediately, immediately revitalized that entire team. And you you wonder, would they be sitting where they are at 10-4 and four without them? Uh, they still have a growing offense. They had a strong defense coming into the season. But pay attention, New York Jets. This is what we were just talking about, about that impact player on the front seven and how that affects the confidence of your team on both sides of the ball. And I would say, just for that impact alone, he deserves serious consideration.
0: Yes, and it's important to know he missed two games with injury, and I think he should have missed three because uh, he looked uh, one-legged against the Patriots in that game. So, uh, if it, and he still has twelve and a half sacks this year and six forced fumbles,
1: uh, and those forced fumbles—I mean, you can't—I mean the Creating the turnovers with the pressure. I mean, that's what it's really all about. A, a sack is great, but a sack and a forced fumble as well, that's what you're looking for from your impact players up front.
0: Indeed, and that's what makes Von Miller, Khalil Mack, J.J. Watt, and Aaron Donald so goddamn elite.
1: Exactly, is that they've got the ability to flip possession, flip field position. Change the entire momentum of the game. That's what these great players do on the front seven.
0: Yeah, and you also talked about the impact with Khalil Mack. Just look at the impact he's had on his teammates on that defensive side of the ball. Akeeb Hicks is having his best season as a pro. He got his first Pro Bowl not very well deserved. Leonard Floyd, uh, keep in mind he was hampered by a hand injury early in the year. He is finally appeared to have turned the quarter and is playing like that edge rusher. The bears drafted at the top 10 in the 2016 uh, draft and the back end, they just feed off that energy. Kyle Fuller is having a career year, seven interceptions, Eddie Jackson's turned into a stud. Uh, those linebackers, R- Roquad Smith, the daddy Trevathan, uh, arguably the second best linebacker duo in the NFL. Second only to what they have in Dallas right now. Uh, it's, I think that effect just trickles down to everybody and the Bears, they might have had just uh, five pro bowlers, including four on that defense, but it kind of looks like they have more pro bowlers because they just upped their level of play so much, m- mainly due to the arrival of Cleo Mack.
1: Exactly. And, and that's what makes a player a most valuable player, an impact player, is that ability to affect the other 10 players that they have on, on their side of the football.
0: Amen, partner. And speaking of the Pro Bowl, which I just alluded to, the NFL must get rid of the Pro Bowl altogether in the next CBA.
1: Oh, please. I mean, all uh, every major sport, you know, this isn't 1940. You know, we can watch the teams. We see them on our devices, on our televisions. You know, it's not the days of, you know, you, you don't see another team in another conference. it' It's over. We don't need that. It's a waste of time. The players don't want it. They don't want to risk injury there. There's nothing that the fans are getting out of it. I can't even watch the god-awful Pro Bowl for the last decade. So please, turn it off. Yes,
0: and this week only reinforced why I haven't watched it in years. How could you leave off Darius Leonard, Andrew Luck, and Chris Jones? Are you freaking kidding me? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's a, yeah I, I it's it's just mind-boggling that, you know, and these pro bowls are used for consideration down the road when you're talking about entry into the NFL Hall of Fame, you always hear these, well, this guy only had four pro bowls or this guy was a 14-time pro bowl. Who cares? This is all baloney. It is
0: baloney. And plus the Pro Football Hall of Fame rightly considers all pro as like a million times more important than Pro Bowl honors when considering people up for the Hall of Fame, as they should. All Pro is the list to look at, not the Pro Bowl.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Indeed. And last but not least, the Vikings change at offensive coordinator from John Filippo to Kevin Stefanski will make them the biggest sleeping giant in the playoffs should they get in.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Ah. Uh, <sighs> I want to say truth on that one. I really do. But, you know, at the same time, is it the offensive coordinator or is it that Kirk Cousins isn't stepping up against elite competition? And that's going to kill them if they sneak into the playoffs because they're not facing anybody but elite competition. So I'll go with exaggeration on this one.
0: That's a good point. So, Kirk Cousins, I have never stopped believing in you. You proved my friend Hal Bet wrong these next two weeks and in the playoffs. Go get him, Captain Kirk. And now we move on to a new game called Make the Case. And in this game, uh, I make the case for one of the candidates for one of these uh, end-of-the-year honors, and you make the case for the other, starting with the MVP and the choices between Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes. Why don't you make the case for Pat Mahomes, Hal?
1: All right. Well, when we, we talk about most valuable player, let's look at Kansas City, where they were last year, a good team, not earning a buy, wiped out in the first round of the playoffs by a Tennessee team that was on the edge of even making the playoffs. And really, with one major change, the quarterback position, the Chiefs are the one of the juggernauts of the AFC. They have been the most exciting team to watch on television. They have been the most entertaining, the most fun, the most talked about, the most utilizing the weapons that they have. And that all relates to their fabulous second-year quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, and his 4,500 yards passing already. His 45 touchdowns. Is he going to make a run at Peyton Manning in these garbage time last couple games of the season? They're not
0: garbage time to the Chiefs, man. They're playing for everything.
1: They are. But yeah, yeah. is he going to make the run? That's excitement for the NFL to watch. Quarterback rating almost 115. Incredible throws. He's, you know... The the most important part of the MVP award is the value, and he has been that valuable piece that's taken the Kansas City Chiefs offense to that second level and made them a legitimate Super Bowl contender.
0: While I definitely agree that Patrick Mahomes is the MVP over Drew Brees, because Drew Brees has had infinitely more help from his defense on an off day than Pat Mahomes has had from his defense on and off day. So, uh, but just to play devil's advocate, make a case for Drew Brees.
1: So for Drew Brees, you know, it's all about the winning when you're going for that most valuable position. And other than a hiccup in week one, which let's face it, it's not Drew Brees' fault that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers scored 48 points in week one against New Orleans. And yeah, Dallas, he still only lost by three points in that game. He's found a way to win, whether it's putting up 51 points, whether it's just putting up 12 points. His value and his ability to lead that offense to defer to the running game when necessary and still put up ridiculous stats, completing almost 75% of his passes, a 31-5 to to touchdown-to-interception ratio right now, quarterback rating of almost 117, and at the same time being humble enough to defer to that running game, to step back and let the defense win the game when necessary. Drew Brees, the value he brings as a leader is what makes Drew Brees the most valuable player.
0: Very, 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 very good case there for Drew Brees, Sal. And now moving on to Coach of the Year, and our choice is between Anthony Lynn or Matt Nagy. I will make the case for Anthony Lynn, but first you make the case for Matt Nagy.
1: So part of the Coach of the Year is dealing with expectations. And what were the expectations for the Chicago Bears? Were they expected to compete in the NFC North? Well, they were expected to compete for a wild card. This was supposed to be Minnesota's division or maybe Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers at full strength um, after he defeated Chicago in that amazing um, game to kick off the season there coming back from that knee injury. It looked like You know, it was, everything was back to normal in the NFC North and Matt Nagy in the process of developing a quarterback in only his second season as a starter, you know, turning around this offense into what are they sixth in the NFL right now, a top 10 offense, one of the best and most dynamic defenses, not just running away with the NFC North but a legitimate Super Bowl contender in Chicago. With that kind of resume so far through 14 games, Matt Nagy, Coach of the Year. Matt
0: Nagy definitely has a strong case for Coach of the Year, Hal, but my case for Anthony Lynn is as follows. The Chargers, when you look at them, they've been... The most snake-bit team in the NFL, arguably, in recent years, or at least been considered the most snake-bit team. And it kind of looked like they were going to get snake-bit again this year. Uh, Joey Bosa getting injured uh, before the season even began and not returning till November. A lot of people thought the Chargers were doomed then. Talk about Derwin James all you want. He's hands down the defensive rookie of the year, but Joey Bosa is the straw that stirs the drink on that Chargers defense. The fact that he was able to keep that defense afloat without him and Phillip Rivers having a career season and in games that they would have lost in, in recent years, close games going down the wire, they have won, including last week's amazing win at Arrowhead Stadium. Anthony Lynn has turned the narrative on the Chargers upside down. And given the continued struggles in the kicky game as well the cards were there for the chargers to be snake bit again and so far through 14 weeks he's reversed that narrative and because the barriers were in place but he knocked them down anthony lynn deserves to be coach of the year
1: you make a great case there david let me tell you and and just the offense losing hunter henry in the preseason as well, who may may finally be back this week, but to, you know, uh, that was a huge loss for the offense. They lost two out of their three first games as well in San Diego. And everybody said, well, same old, same old chargers here, lose to the Rams, lose to the chiefs. And then boom, quick turnaround there, uh, ripping off six straight wins. So an impressive case to be made right there for the great job that Anthony Lynn has done. And and I'll tell you, just for that decision to go for the two against the Chiefs, great, great call. I loved it, you know, and um, that may be just what pushes him to the top of the pile as well.
0: Yes, and even if the Chargers had not converted that two-point conversion I still would have agreed with the call because the Chargers didn't want to risk overtime and a chance of Patrick Mahomes touching the ball. They wanted to end the game there because they know how amazing Patrick Mahomes is. Heck, he's the MVP in our eyes. They didn't want to give him another chance. It was the right call, even if they didn't make it.
1: Exactly. Memo to Vance Joseph, you play to win the game. Win.
0: Yes, and Vance Joseph, it's too late because he's probably going to get fired uh, in a couple weeks, so... Now moving on to our Comeback Player of the Year, and it's a choice between Andrew Luck or J.J. Watt. I'm going to make the case for Andrew Luck here. Andrew Luck. A lot of people in the Indianapolis media, and Andrew Luck himself, thought his playing days were done. Over. And now he comes back, and not only does he come back, he comes back with a vengeance, playing the best football of his career, arguably, and... We all knew he was mature coming into the league, but his maturity now compared to his maturity, say like just a couple years ago, night and day. He's not taking any more stupid risks. He's only running as a last result. He's getting rid of the ball faster than ever, and obviously got to give credit to that uh, Colts offensive line, um, who have is arguably the most improved uh, single unit in the National Football League. Andrew Luck, he was like left for dead. And now he's playing the best football of his career and showing you why he's probably back to being one of the top three, if not top two quarterbacks in this game. Andrew Luck is hands down my comeback player of the year because of the road he had to this recovery.
1: Well, when you talk about the road to recovery, let's put J.J. Watt in that same situation. Here's someone who played all of three games in 2016 with only one and a half sacks, played only five games last year. With zero sacks, zero sacks in the entire season, coming off of 38 sacks in 2014 and 2015 combined. Now, a player of his size, of his age, now turning the corner, turning his year, age 29 season. What is the expectation of coming back from a back injury that affects you every single play? That you're going up against somebody on the defensive line, a 300, 330, 350 pound guard or tackle, probably both of them at the same time. People were talking about his brother, TJ Watt, having passed him. Would JJ Watt ever be the same? And boom, 14 and a half sacks in 14 games, six forced fumbles by him, creating those turnovers that are so necessary to turn the momentum of the game, as we had talked about that impact on the front seven, and leading Houston, a team that, as Watt started slowly coming back from that injury, fell to 0-3, only to watch them rip off nine straight wins and now sit comfortably in first place at 10-4 with still a chance to earn a buy in the first round, stand up and take a bow, J.J. Watt. That puts you in position for comeback player of the year, even if I would say there really is Andrew Locke.
0: Both of them have equally as strong a case as we uh, talked about the last time we talked about this, and I would give it to both of them if I could.
1: Yeah, it's. it's I think we were splitting our votes in our midseason. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We were, and now a case for an honor that no team would dare strive for, most disappointing team, the Eagles or the Jaguars. I'm going to make my case for the Eagles. Yes, Super Bowl hangovers are real for most every team coming off of Super Bowl, but this Eagles team, as much as a hangover we expected, we didn't expect them to struggle this badly. Like, Look at the core you had coming into this year that was under contract until at least 2020. Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Alshaw Jeffrey, Carson Wentz, Zach Ertz, Fletcher Cox, Tim Jernigan, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, on and on and on and on. This was a core that asserted itself last year and that offensive line, which was integral to that Super Bowl victory They've just been an atrocious mess all season. They, their play has declined even more than I anticipated. And the Jaguars uh, should it come as that much of a surprise because uh, Blake Bortles can only do so much. The defense played at a level great enough last year to hide him, but they were inevitably going to take a step backwards this year and the offense had to take a step forward. They did not take a step forward. And as a result, as you'd expect with a team that with that kind of imbalance, um The train fell off the track, so the Eagles are the most disappointing team for me. See if you can make a case for the
1: Jaguars, Hal. Uh, I'll make it. I I could make it in one sentence. This team lost to quarterback Josh Johnson and the Washington Redskins last season. Josh Johnson! Last week! Last week they lost to him! And Josh Johnson has (laughs) not
0: started an NFL game in seven years!
1: And... The Jaguars lost him. This was the brash young team that looked like they had their own legion of boom in that secondary, uh, AJ Boye, Jalen Ramsey, just a fantastic secondary went into new England should have won that game were a quick whistle away from winning that game. Uh, after the deal Lewis fumble there, uh, that they should have recovered uh, gotten credit for recovering. They did recover it. Um, so, so, this team is a legitimate Super Bowl contender, comes into the regular season, beats the Giants, one of those preseason uh, picks that everybody was picking as that sleeping giant in the NFC, blow out the Patriots in their revenge game for the AFC Championship. They're sitting at 3-1 and one after week four with Houston, their expected top competition at 1-3, and three, the whole season in front of them, and down the crapper they couldn't beat the eagles they couldn't beat anybody they lost seven games in a row they lost to buffalo this team talk about disappointments and it's not all on the easy case to make of well it's blake bortles well it's kate uh, Cody Kessler at quarterback, for God's sakes. No, the defense is going to get some blame there as well. They're not creating the turnovers. They're allowing teams to run right up the gut on them. They're pedestrian run defense. Yes, they're still good in the passing game, but teams are taking leads and they don't have to pass the ball. They can run it out on this team and For disappointments, for the expectations, for a team ready to take that next step and be a legit contender, it is a sad fall from grace for the Jacksonville Jaguars as the most disappointing team in the NFL.
0: You just made me change my mind and want to give this award of the Jaguar sale. Yes. That was a much more detailed case than the one I made for the Eagles, but uh, that's part of this game. Make the case and see if you can change minds. And last but not least executive of the year, Ryan Pace or Chris Ballard. You make the case for Ryan Pace.
1: Ooh, that is a, uh, boy, that's a tough choice between Ed, those two to begin with. Yeah. You, you want to know
0: something funny? Uh, In 2015, when the Bears were doing their GM search, the final two candidates for the job, Ryan
1: Pace and Chris Ballard. Wow. (laughs) That's some good research there. I'm going to tell you right there. So Ryan Pace, well, you know, uh, he was smart enough to trade for Khalil Mack. Uh, Do I need to say anything else right there? (laughs) No. Great draft picks. You know, um, believed in Mitch Trubisky because God knows I didn't believe in Mitch Trubisky as the number two overall pick. I'll tell you that much right now.
0: Yes, on draft night, I would say, why did you take Solomon Thomas? That turned out to be pretty wise taking him over Solomon Thomas.
1: <laughs> oh jeez, and you know, uh, building that offense around him. You know, picking a great pick and getting Tariq Cohen in the middle rounds, building around Jordan Howard there with the multiple running backs to be able to take the pressure off of him there. And, of course, you know, that that great defense, you know, uh, Roquan Smith and the impact that he's had this season on that defense signing away. Danny Trevathan, you um, You know some of these these players that they these moves that they made when they signed away Akeem Hicks from the Patriots, great move there. Leonard Floyd finally taking that step forward. You know he's he's had a plan in place. He's going to build around the defense and the running game and let that offense develop. And you know that sneaky good move again he made this year as well in the draft of Anthony Miller, who is blossoming into uh, an impact wide receiver there for them as well. So uh, stand up and take a bow, uh, executive of the year, uh, Ryan Pace. <laughs> Ryan Pace, sorry, stuck on my tongue there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and don't forget he hired Matt Nagy.
1: Yeah, uh, what a great hiring there, exactly. And look at the
0: assistance that Nagy was able to to bring in. He retained Vic Fangio, which was obviously a home run. For his offensive coordinator, he brought in Mark Helfrich, uh, who was formerly the head coach at Oregon when Marcus Mariota was at Oregon. So he knows a thing or two about how to make uh, quarterbacks uh, still get used to the NFL like Mitchell Trubisky, as comfortable as possible in his transition And they brought in Harry Heastan, the offensive line guru himself, who coached at Notre Dame this past decade. He coached guys like Zach Martin, Ronnie Stanley, and obviously Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. And uh, drafty James Daniels, Harry Heastan is molding James Daniels into a stud. Just look at James Daniels' performance on Aaron Donald a couple weeks ago.
1: Exactly. And a great point. And, and you know, Matt Nagy, when you bring up that hiring, it wasn't the most popular hiring in the world. I mean, he had one year as an offensive coordinator in Kansas City. And, you know, a lot of people just said, hey, that's Andy Reid running the offense. This guy's just standing there holding a clipboard. You Andy I so, would tell you the reverse. Of course he would. And as well, it's likely true as well but there was that criticism when he was hired as well. So uh, being able to pull the trigger and bring in that right person at the right time for the right job.
0: That is a strong case for Ryan Pace, but I think Chris Ballard has equally as strong, if not a stronger case. And here's my case for Chris Ballard. When you look at the Colts uh, coming into 2018, expectations were far lower than the bears. They came in with a far weaker roster on paper and, uh, Striking out on Josh McDaniels uh, kind of uh, left some idiots on Twitter scratching their head saying, oh, the Colts are going to blow it, they're going to settle for less, they're going to settle for less, but he brings in Frank Reich. Turns out Frank Reich, in my opinion, is turning out to be a better hire than Josh McDaniels ever would turn out to be. Frank Reich is proving that he was the brains behind that Eagles offense last year and not Doug Peterson. He was. He drew all the plays. He schemed all the plays. Peterson just called the plays. Big difference, Al. Big difference, folks. Um, Frank Reich and the draft, everyone knew Quentin Nelson was going to be a stud. That's for sure. But a lot of people are questioning uh, his... uh, Day 2 picks. Who's this guy, Darius Leonard? South Carolina State? Uh, Yeah, he's promising, but he's going to take a while, and they don't have a, a lot of pieces on that defense anyways. He turns out to be a stud, and him alone arguably has elevated that defense's play to a sum greater than their parts. Uh, kind of defense, uh, obviously give a lot of credit to Matt Eberflues, defensive coordinator as well, but without Darius Leonard, I don't think the Colts have this overachieving season on defense, I really don't, and also got Braden Smith in round two, who's turning out to be a, a steady option at right tackle, and with Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith alone with those two picks, he fixed the, their biggest weakness, the offensive line, and nobody thought they would be fixed with uh, Braden Smith Uh, adding that fourth part as well behind Quentin Nelson. Uh, So he has turned that ship around faster than the naysayers were expecting. And look look at the help he's gotten. And look, oh, they have no weapons outside of T.Y. Elton. Look at Marlon Mack, who he drafted last year. Eddie Briggs and Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins to give them a three-headed monster at running back that opens up the offense in ways they couldn't have done in years past. Chris Ballard has changed that ship around overnight, He has um, sent Ryan Griggs into the depths of football hell. Uh, Chris Ballard, executive of the year.
1: And, you know, I'm going to throw one more on there for him as well. Eric Ebron. (laughs) Detroit couldn't chase him out of town quick enough. 11 touchdowns in four years in Detroit. He's got 12 already in Indy. What a great move. Oh,
0: talking to Jeff Hazley of footballguys.com before the season, and we were saying, uh, Eric Ebron is going to be playing the Zach Ertz role in Frank Reich's offense.
1: Yeah, and 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 he's looked pretty damn good there. And, you know, especially where that was expected to be. Well, he's just a backup for, you know, uh, Jack Doyle. Uh, That's his job now. And uh, Jack Doyle, you know, who they really were planning as a, to be a big part of that, um, you know, that offense with that injury that's got him on injured reserve here now. You know, it's really turned into Ebron's offense. And that just makes it even more of an impressive signing.
0: Yes, sirree. And now we will preview a couple games for you. And these are two of the games this week that are going to have a humongous say in how the playoff picture turns out. And we start with Sunday afternoon's matchup in the New Orleans at the Superdome where the Steelers, fresh off that crucial victory against the Patriots, take on the New Orleans Saints. And if there's anything alarming about the Saints' performance in recent weeks, it's been Drew Brees. Drew Brees just doesn't seem to be his old dominant self. Do you think father time is playing a role in Drew Brees' performance these past couple games?
1: Uh, I think any quarterback at that age, both you've seen it with Tom Brady the past couple weeks, it's a long season. These guys take a lot of hits, and it's tough for them to bounce back from some of these hits as well. And and you know, let's face it, the, the Saints offensive line has done a great job this season keeping Breeze upright uh, with only 15 sacks. But the you know, he knows to hold on to the football long enough sometimes to have to wait that out and when defenses start taking away those deep options from them in forcing them to go underneath it's going to affect them we've got another what you know we've got all these weeks of tape as well on this offense in this season and what was you know blowing teams out earlier in the season in uh september october november putting up 40 50 points a game you know the defenses are going to adjust they're gonna see things and some of that is just the natural attrition of the nfl season
0: it most certainly is and the Steelers in last week's win over to the Patriots, they discovered that they have another toy on offense, and we talked about him last week. His name is Jalen Samuels. Jalen Samuels was a monster on Sunday, wasn't
1: he? He was fantastic. You know, I mean, we knew he could catch the football coming out of the backfield, but he was slicing through that defense. Um, Very impressive as a runner as well. And, you know, looking at Jalen Samuels and and James Conner going forward with a 22 and a 23 year old running backs there, uh, both, you know, big play potential in the passing and running game. Bye bye, Le'Veon Bell. Thanks for playing.
0: And I also think that Jalen Samuels brings a certain dimension to the Steelers' offense that neither James Conner nor Le'Veon Bell brought. Do you think so? And if so, what is it?
1: It's the explosiveness. I mean, Le'Veon Bell hasn't had that explosiveness in the last— two or three years that he had when he was younger and Jalen Samuels has that ability where every time he has the football in his hands he looks capable of taking it to the end zone and that is something that will scare defensive coordinators and cause them to scheme and when you've got the wide receivers that they have in Pittsburgh if they're thinking about the running back that's a big win right there
0: Oh, it definitely is. And Jalen Samuels, the dimension I think he adds to the Steelers' offense, he is much more of a Swiss Army knife than James Conner and even Le'Veon Bell because, keep in mind, he played tight end in college as well. You can line him up in millions of different ways across formation, even more so than Le'Veon Bell. Jalen Samuels is going to be a major, major weapon for the Steelers for years to come.
1: He definitely looks like it right now. Uh, That's looking like, you know, a Once again, the Steelers, you know, (laughs) they find them in those later rounds. They draft that talent and they develop it. And he's looking like a steal right now.
0: He is. And the New Orleans Saints, the main reason why they were able to win two of the three games on this most recent road trip has been their defense. That defense has been absolutely on fire since week number 10. And look at these numbers. Since week 10, they are first in points per game allowed third in yards per game allowed first in sacks per game and tied for third in turnovers forced per game and when you compare those numbers to the first nine weeks of the season they allowed 27.3 points per game which was 27th in the league almost 400 yards per game 387.8 to be exact the 25th overall only 2.1 sacks per game at 27th overall and they only forced one turnover per game which was 22nd overall in Weeks 1 through 9. What has been the biggest factor in this impressive turnaround for the Saints defense?
1: I think one of the things we talked about earlier in the show is, is having that defensive line in tune with your secondary and playing at the same level at the same time. And the Saints have been able to generate the pass rush, not just from Cameron Jordan like it had been in years past, but you're seeing players like Sheldon Rankins having a great season for them. Alex Okafor contributing in the pass rush. Marcus Davenport, uh, you know, they're bringing that pass rush. And that secondary, which was getting torched at the beginning of the season, now that that pass rush is in tune and in alignment with that secondary you're seeing that strong strong play being able to stop the the passing game the Marshawn Lattimore back to that impressive level of play that he had in his rookie season Marcus Williams as well putting that Minnesota miracle behind him and playing strong on the back end of that defense and those two working in concert they're making beautiful music together right now
0: oh very well put Hal very well put And when it comes to game-deciding matchups, uh, a matchup I'm personally looking at are the Saints corners, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Eli Apple, P.J. Williams, going up against uh, Antonio Brown and Judas Smith-Schuster, and this uh, Steelers wide receiver core, because if there is a weakness on the Saints defense, it's at the back end right now, and this is probably the most dangerous core of pass catchers they're going to face uh, all season.
1: Exactly. And, you know, Pittsburgh, again, like we we talked about with that passing game, they're going to involve the running backs. They have Vance McDonald and Jesse James at the tight end position. We've seen growth out of James Washington this season starting to contribute. And they just got Eli Rogers back, which was a huge boost to their offense as he had a couple of big first down conversions for them against New England in the passing game as well. So they're going to put a lot of pressure on that secondary and they're going to need that defensive line to step up and be able to pressure Ben Roethlisberger and not let him pick apart that secondary.
0: Who do you see prevailing Sunday afternoon at the Superdome?
1: It's going to be a close game, but at this point, I'm going to give the edge to New Orleans Maybe only because they're in the Dome and Pittsburgh has had their struggles on the road still as well this season. I mean, my God, they did lose to Oakland in Oakland. Let's not forget that. So um, I'm giving the slight edge to New Orleans, and I see them taking it in a relatively lower scoring game than I would have expected three or four weeks ago, 20 to 18.
0: Ooh, that is a very interesting pick there, Hal. It wouldn't be that surprising, especially considering the way the Steelers played on defense last week against the Patriots. But I am going to give the odds to Pittsburgh.
1: Ooh.
0: As I said, the Cowboys wrote the book on how to stop this Saints offense. You need guys that could uh, cover Kamara, double Kamara, and double Michael Thomas. And Drew Brees doesn't have that many other options outside of those two. I think the Steelers are going to take those two guys away in the game plan, and if they do what they did last week, uh, get pressure up the middle and stop the run, they are more than capable of doing that, and that Saints offensive line might be missing Max Zunger, and that could be a big difference between Ooh, yeah. a win and a loss for the Saints. Max Unger coming off concussion, and it's uh, almost impossible to come back from concussion from a Monday game to the following Sunday. It's uh, So the Steelers are going to be missing the linchpin. Uh, their offensive line, if not uh, both him and Teron Armstead. So I find the Steelers coming away in a close one, 24-21. And now moving on to the Sunday night game between the Chiefs and the Seahawks. And when you look at the Seahawks coming off a loss to the 49ers last week, their defense was just torched through the air by the 49ers last week. They gave up four pass plays of 20 or more yards. How ominous of a sign is that with Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs come to town this weekend?
1: Well, it's definitely not what you want to see. I'll tell you that much. And, you know, maybe we had overhyped them a little bit too much. But you're also going to look at it as well. Is That's a younger defense right now as well. And, you know... Younger defenses, four-game winning streak, uh, on top of the world. You know, just shut down the Vikings the week before. You know, you, you're going to have these hiccup games on the road every once in a while. Um, I I don't think it's a good sign, but I'm expecting the Seahawks defense to bounce back against Kansas City this week.
0: I'm looking at a pretty high-scoring game, actually, given the fact that both of these uh, teams' uh, defenses. Oh, wait a second! Delete that, Chris, and uh, delete what I'm about to say as well. Hal, did you say you expect the Chiefs to bounce back offensively, or the Seahawks to bounce back defensively?
1: Oh, I, I expected the Seahawks to bounce back defensively.
0: Very good, uh, Chris. Uh, delete what, what Hal said and everything I said before that. All right. Let's do. Oh, that is a very, very interesting take, Hal. What makes you think the Seahawks defense will bounce back?
1: Well, young, aggressive defense back home. You're going to have that advantage of the 12th man there in Seattle. Uh, You know, as we saw home field each and every week, home field advantage is a huge part. And for a younger team that's playing off emotion, sometimes traveling on the road with a winning streak is going to cause a problem and cause a hiccup. And this may be just the reality slap to get them back to listening to Pete Carroll and back on their tracks and in their spots and no freelancing, and that's sometimes what a young team needs uh, when they may be looking ahead a little bit too far.
0: Plus, the weather forecast on Sunday is uh, rain, and uh, with rain in Seattle, uh, that adds another
1: dimension that favors the Seahawks. Exact Rain in Seattle. I don't believe that forecast.
0: (laughs) Rain in Seattle is almost synonymous, as they say.
1: Exactly. So, so yeah, I am looking at it as a bounce back game for Seattle. I think that defense, uh, makes a strong stand and, you know, we've seen Kansas city as well. That high powered defense has, uh, certainly been slowed down the past two weeks. Granted it's the Ravens and the chargers, two of the better defenses out there, but I'm going to say Seattle, the way they've been playing other than that hiccup last week, uh, belongs in that conversation as well.
0: They just may, and when you look at the Seahawks' game plan on defense for this game, who do you think their most important defensive asset, not named Bobby Wagner, is?
1: Oh, you just took it away from me. <laughs> 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 it's it's always, always Bobby Wagner. <laughs> it is, but uh, there
0: has to be somebody else in this game. That
1: yeah, well, it, it's. I think we're looking at you know a Shaquille Griffin and you know the the Kansas City offense is going to run through making big plays down the field in the passing game. Uh we know it's number 10 that's going to be that impact player week in and week out. It's a matter of limiting Tyreek Hill and keeping him out of the end zone with those quick strikes and making Patrick Mahomes um as they say matriculate the ball up the field uh slowly and deliberately. Uh, to in order to slow down that Chiefs offense.
0: That is a good point, but I have uh, two players in mind that are going to be very crucial to the Seahawks winning this game on defense, and they are Frank Clark, who has bloomed into one of the league's uh, more underrated pass rushers. He's got 11 and a half sacks this year, and Jaron Reed, who is coming of age this year, uh, providing the Seahawks with that interior presence that they were trying to replace Uh, Michael Bennett with in sub packages Jaron Reed is going into the complete player many thought he could become when he was drafted out of Alabama and Jaron Reed and those guys in the middle their job is to keep Pat Mahomes in the pocket and for Frank Clark to constantly win any one-on-one matchups that arise for him to get to Patrick Mahomes so keeping Mahomes in the pocket and and flustering him is going to be the most important thing so Frank Clark and Jaron Reed I'm watching you
1: I agree. That's and Jaron Reed. What a great story he is with the you know not well known nationally, but you know a a big postseason possibly. We that could be a name on the tip of everybody's tongue next year because he's had, as you said, um, a great great season filling that role and stepping up for Seattle this year.
0: And when looking at the Chiefs uh, last week, who do you think was missed more, Sammy Watkins or Spencer Ware?
1: I think it was Spencer Ware, you know, the, the loss of Kareem Hunt, we talked about that when it happened and, you know, he's such an important part of that offense and Spencer Ware is able to, to take a part of that role, um, you know, Kareem Hunt light, if you want to say, um, <laughs> and, you know, missing that, you know, the missing that running game, um, you know, really had that offense out of sync. Um, for the most part, for the Chiefs, and you know, I like Damian Williams. Daryl Williams flashed a little uh, receiving the ball as well, but neither one of them filled that role and that complete back and running and receiving threat that Spencer Ware is. I, I would have him as the most mis- missed point in that defense on that offense.
0: Yes, and they definitely will need him back uh, this weekend. And who do you have winning this game Sunday night in
1: the Emerald City? Uh, well, it is a tough one to pick, but I am leaning towards the Seahawks. I think it'll be a close game. I think their defense will bounce back. They'll keep Kansas City off the scoreboard, and it'll be down to the wire, Seattle 24-23 to over Kansas City.
0: I am almost simpatico with you there. I am simpatico on who wins. I definitely see the Seahawks winning but not quite the score. I think it's just slightly higher scoring than that. Seahawks 27, Chiefs 24. And now we move on to our rapid-fire predictions, in which we predict the rest of this week's games in super, super quick fashion. And this is truly a rapid-fire prediction segment. We are only going to uh, say who we... Think is going to win, and just a couple words why. Starting with Saturday, Redskins and Titans. Uh, Josh Johnson, you you and the Redskins might have gotten away with it against the Jaguars. You're not going to get away with it against the Titans, who have equally as much on the table in this game. And I think the Titans, with Derrick Henry running the ball and some efficient play from Marcus Marion and Corey Davis, plus that defense, are able to win a relatively coverable 26 game.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty close to you on that as well. More Derrick Henry has been what this offense has needed. 27-16, fairly easy win for Tennessee.
0: Indeed. And the Ravens and Chargers, and arguably the third most important game of the week that will have enormous implications on the playoff picture. It's going to be a very close game. The Ravens and that run-centric offense and the league's number one defense, they're going to play the Chargers tough for 60 minutes, but the Chargers are equipped to counter that with Melvin Gordon uh, coming back, Keenan Allen uh, being able to return this soon is also important, and with that defense of their own, uh, it's going to be a close game, but the Chargers eke out another dramatic 24-20 win.
1: Oh, I don't even think it'll be that close. Um, you know, the Baltimore, that running game, just isn't going to hold up down the stretch. Teams are going to catch on. There's too much tape on them already. Chargers take it 27-17 to 17 over the Ravens.
0: Ooh, the Chargers sympathizer in me definitely hopes you're right there. The Indianapolis Colts host the New York Giants at home. The Colts also try to keep their playoff ups alive. They absolutely dominated. The Dallas Cowboys on the ground last week, and I don't think they're going to stop this week at all with a playoff spot on the line. I think they come away with a 27-17 to 17 win. I
1: do, I think they're going to win this one. I'm almost simpatico there. I've got it 27-20, to 20, but earlier in the week, I was thinking maybe this is an upset special. Let's see what the Giants have, but nope, I'm going Indy.
0: And the reason... Why I'm picking the Colts? Find out in my bowl predictions. Ooh. And we got the Dolphins still mathematically alive in the playoff hunt, hosting the Jaguars, who we both agree have been the most disappointing team this season. I think the disappointment continues. Dolphins uh, are going to win, let's say a 26 to 13 game.
1: You know, I, I, I after last week, it's it's hard for me to pick the Dolphins the way that they just. Fell flat on their face against Minnesota. I see that troubling trend continuing, and I have Jacksonville in the ugliest game of the week, 16-13 to 13 over Miami.
0: 16-13, to 13, that is definitely a plausible outcome, a close, ugly, low-scoring game. The Panthers have shut down Cam Newton for the rest of the year, and rightfully so, clearly, clearly not 100% in recent weeks. They need to rest him now that they're out of the playoffs, they play close to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I think Christian McCaffrey has a big game, but the Falcons offense and defense play an even bigger game, and the Falcons win a 27-16 game.
1: Yeah, I've got the Falcons. I've got it close. I've got it low scoring. Um, I'm going to take the Falcons 16-13 to 13 over Carolina in what could be the swan song for Ron Rivera as head coach.
0: Ooh, that is a scenario that we're going to be watching very closely in these next couple weeks as Black Monday looms closer. The Battle of Ohio Part 2. The Bengals take on the Cleveland Browns, who are still alive in the playoff On Heck, they could still quite possibly, even though it's a remote possibility, win the AFC North. I am not betting against my son Baker. Uh, I think they sweep the Bengals in the Battle of Ohio, and I think they win a rather easy one, 28 to
1: 14. I'm pretty close to that score as well. I've got Cleveland 27-17 to 17 over Cincinnati.
0: The Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. And the Cowboys, I think they kind of had their wake-up call, kind of like the Seahawks did last week, at which we kind of overhyped them. And I think they get back on track and clinch the NFC East Division with a 26 thirteen win over the Buccaneers.
1: Yeah, I I, I kind of have to go with Dallas as well. I think it'll be a little lower scoring than that, but a pretty easy seventeen to ten win over Tampa.
0: We are simpatico there. The Minnesota Vikings, fresh off an incredible offensive performance against the Miami Dolphins, traveled to Detroit to take on the Lions, whose playoff hopes were denied in Buffalo last Sunday. I think the Vikings win. 24-10.
1: Uh, to 10. Yep, I, I've got the Vikings as well. They're feeling the urgency of this playoff push right now, and every game is a must-win for Minnesota. I've got them 27-16 to 16 over the Lions.
0: The Patriots, uh, after two devastating losses that likely knocked them out of home field advantage in the AFC, return home to face the Buffalo Bills. And Josh Allen has been playing some pretty good football lately, but I don't think it's going to be sufficient enough against the Patriots, especially when the Patriots need a win more than ever. I think they win rather comfortably 31 to 10.
1: Oh, I think it's going to be a close game. Those running quarterbacks give the Patriots problems time after time. Um, I'll say they're going to win because they're a home team this year that they're winning at home. So 27-22. Closer than most will think, Patriots over the Bills.
0: And the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers, who is going to still be playing, as you said, he should still be playing last week, even if they get eliminated, which they now are eliminated. Traveling to the Meadowlands to take on Sam Darnold and the New York Jets, who almost pulled off an upset over the Texans. I actually am going to go with Sam Darnold and the Jets here. I think the way Sam Darnold has played these last two weeks shows exactly why he's the Jets' quarterback of the future, and things are going to be looking up for Gang Green long term. I think Sam Darnold outduels Aaron Rodgers in a twenty-three to twenty game.
1: Ooh, almost simpatico there. Sound the alert. I've got the Jets 20 to 17 over the Packers. And same exact reasons. I loved Sam Darnold coming into this season. And he's starting to see that growth that we could see that blossom next year if they get the right offensive coordinator in there.
0: I completely agree. And do you think the Jets should highly consider Mike McCarthy? Because there's been rumors that he's atop their list of head coaching candidates.
1: I don't know if I put Mike McCarthy in the, um, you know, there's, uh, if I, I, I don't know. Mike McCarthy, he's an intriguing choice. I think he's a fit for the market. Is he the right quarterback for Sam? Uh, the right uh, head coach for Sam Darnold, or do you want to get one of these young hotshots that are going to bring in more of that that college wide open style and let Darnold really fling the ball around the field? I don't know if I like McCarthy with the Jets.
0: I'm not sure I do either. And the Philadelphia Eagles, as you correctly predicted last week, Mr. Swami, uh, they. Uh. Um, upset the Rams with Nick Foles and they return home to face the Houston Texans. I'm not sure they'll be as fortunate this time because the Rams defense is an absolute train wreck right now and the Texans have one of the best defenses in the league. I think uh, Nick Foles turns back into a pumpkin again this week as the Eagles, although they'll keep it close, they fall short in a 23-17 game of the Texans.
1: Ah, I'm still riding that Nick Foles train. You'll hear more about this in my bold prediction, but I have Philadelphia 34-30 to 30 over the Texans.
0: And last but not least, we are going to definitely rapidly predict these next three games. The Rams, uh, on a two-game losing streak, I think they get the elixir they need going on the road to Arizona to take on the worst team in the NFL. I think they get back on track 27-10. to 10.
1: Yep, 30-16, to 16, Rams easy win.
0: The Bears 49ers, uh, the 49ers, despite their record, they've been playing some good football this season. Nick Mullins is turning into a very, very, very useful quarterback, whether his long-term is as a starter or a backup in this league. He's definitely made a good case. Who do you see coming out on top in Santa Clara on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I, I like what I've seen out of Frisco. It'll be closer than we expect maybe, but the Bears 20-16 to 16 over the 49ers.
0: This is my upset special of the week. 49ers, 23, Bears, 20. I think the absence of Eddie Jackson in this game winds up costing the Bears as George Kittle is going to go ape. And last but not least, a Monday night Christmas Eve snooze fest between the Denver Broncos and Lame Duck head coach Vance Joseph. And if you think the situation with the Broncos is bad right now, the Raiders say, hold my beer. And John Gruden and that disastrous train wreck that is the Oakland Raiders. I can't... I just, the only thing that might make me watch this game is because I'm in a fantasy football championship and have Brandon McManus.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, that's one more reason than I have. <laughs> I might be getting to bed early and waiting for Santa Claus and making sure I get to sleep. Uh,
0: this is a hold your nose game. I oh. am just going to hold my nose and say the Raiders, they're going to probably try to lose more because they want a, as high as possible a, a draft pick. And uh, the Broncos end up winning an ugly 13 13- it's
1: a 10 game. Woo! Yeah, I've got it ugly. Yeah, Gruden's going to screw it up, and they're going to win. That's what's going to happen. Oakland 17, Denver 16. The Broncos
0: fan in me hopes Hale is right. I want the Broncos to get as high a draft pick as possible. I want them to spoil the Raiders draft pick. Come on, Raiders. Do what Hale said you're going to do. And now moving on to our bold predictions for Week 15. You go first, Hal, and it has something to do with Nick Foles and the
1: Eagles. It certainly is. Nick Foles is just getting warmed up. This is his time right now. The Eagles, they respond to Nick Foles. I don't know what it is. 24-31 passing, 270 yards. He did what Carson Wentz hadn't been doing, and that's when you have a number one receiver like Alshon Jeffrey. You feed him the football. 8 for 160. He'll top that this week. You'll see that more than 160 yards for Alshon Jeffrey. And for Nick Foles, this is his line, my bold prediction. 30 completions on 40 passes, 370 yards, three touchdowns, passings. The tough Houston Texans defense is not going to know what hit them.
0: Ooh, that's a bold prediction indeed. And my bold prediction for this week, after getting absolutely disrespected by getting snubbed for the Pro Bowl, Darius Leonard and Andrew Luck go absolute bananas on Sunday against the Giants. Andrew Luck will f- throw for four touchdown passes and 350 or more yards. And Darius Leonard will register two sacks, four tackles for a loss, and a forced fumble.
1: Ooh, I'd like to see that.
0: Absolutely. I, I almost expect it to happen. <laughs> Don't you, after getting disrespected like that?
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's a big bounce-back week for them, definitely. Definitely.
0: Yeah, and I think it might be an encore to last week's amazing performance against the Cowboys. And last but not least, our challenge flags for the week. Why don't you go first here, Hal Bent?
1: I appreciate it. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers, Anthony Lynn, the Chiefs, I'm telling you, they're going to go into Seattle and lose this week. That means you have the chance to grab that number one seed home field advantage, the bye week, it's all going to be right there, yours for the taking. Yes, Baltimore on Sunday night is a tough game. Yes, playing in Denver, even if they have nothing to play for in week 17, may be tougher than you expect. Take care of business. This is an opportunity. The difference between being the one seed and the five seed in the AFC is huge. And Chargers, you're going to get the opportunity. I'm telling you, the Chiefs are losing. Grab it.
0: That is the loudest simpatical alert in the history of Sports crutch thus far. We are simpatic on our challenge flags. Hal challenged the Chargers and I offer the exact same challenge to the Chargers. Play your two best games of the season to close out 2018 and home field advantage will likely be yours. And that's it for this week here on Sports Crunch. Hal Bet, you can catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com. And if you're a Patriots fan, catch his Patriots theme work at MusketFire.com, BostonSportPage.com. Follow him on Twitter at halbet one Hal. It's always fun talking football with you. And it appears that this ride is ending, but it's really just beginning.
1: Amen to that. And, you know, Challenge Flag, great minds do think alike. There's your proof, universe, right there.
0: There is your proof indeed, and that's it for today here on Sports Crunch, but we'll be back next week to preview Week 17, the final week of the 2018 regular season, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com, and remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like... For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long and a very Merry Christmas to all.